So good afternoon. My name is Dr. Mary Ortiz and I'm the head of school here at Oakcrest. And we're delighted to welcome our Oakcrest parents, friends, and those of you who are joining us this afternoon, perhaps uh, seeking to learn more about our school for your daughter, welcome. In just a few minutes, you'll hear Dr. Leonard Sachs' presentation on the value of a single sex education for girls. And it's now my pleasure to introduce him. Dr. Sachs earned a PhD in psychology and an MD from the University of Pennsylvania. He has 27 years of clinical practice as a family physician and psychologist. His experience showed him the need for a more study of adolescent development and the cultural influences that affect it. After meeting with parents, groups, and visiting schools, he published his first book in 2005, Why Gender Matters, which he revised and updated in 2017. He has visited more than 460 schools and spoken at universities, juvenile justice facilities, communities of faith, corporations, and parent groups. He's lectured extensively on issues of child and adolescent development throughout the United States and in 11 countries around the world. He's appeared on the Today Show, CNN, National Public Radio, Fox News, PBS, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the British Broadcasting Corporation, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, New Zealand Television, and many other national and international media. In addition to Why Gender Matters, he's the author of Boys Adrift, Girls on the Edge, and the New York Times bestseller, The Collapse of Parenting. In 2017, we invited Dr. Sachs to speak to our faculty, parents, and students after a number of teachers and staff members had read the first edition of Girls on the Edge. Unfortunately, we were familiar with the negative cultural influences on girls. What impressed us with Dr. Sachs' presentation in the book was his use of extensive research and a great deal of on-the-ground experience, resulting in excellent practical guidance for parents and educators. What continues to resonate with us is his optimism in the power of parents and young people to change their lives for the better. We were also very happy to find a number of our practices here at Oakcrest supported by Dr. Sachs' research and experience. We're always eager to learn more as well though, and this is why we've invited him to Oakcrest a second time. This afternoon, he will explore with us the benefits of single sex education and its importance in today's culture. I recommend that you take good notes so that you can look at them in a quiet moment. And from the wealth of material that's about to come to you, make one or two resolutions that will positively impact your parenting and your family culture. This is what I will be doing as well. So it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Leonard Sachs. Well, good afternoon. I certainly want to uh, thank Dr. Ortiz for inviting me to come back. I'll go ahead and share my screen so I can bring up my presentation that I prepared. Here we go. All right, I'll make sure my clicker is working, and it is. All right, so Dr. Ortiz told you a little bit about me. Uh, and uh, my four books. 
And she mentioned taking notes, which is a great idea, but I have prepared a handout for you. The handout are the notes that I would take if I was attending this workshop, as well as links to the research. I'm gonna be citing a lot of research. And I'll show you this link again, but I just wanted you to know there's a handout that I prepared for you, it's online. You don't need it now, don't pull it up now. But I just wanted you to know it's here. I'll show you this link again at the end. So there's three kind of categories you wanna think about when you're thinking about single sex versus co-education. One is the unique benefits of a girl's school. But you also wanna answer the common questions uh, that may arise in your own mind or when you're talking with others. We'll get to those uh, common questions. And thirdly, why you and not your daughter or your son need to be the one making the decision. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But let's talk about the benefits of girls' schools. And I think you can categorize those benefits as mind, body, and spirit. Uh, so specifically with regard to mind, referring to academics, we have a great deal of research uh, showing that girls who attend girls' schools are much more likely to pursue interests in physics and engineering and robotics compared to girls of comparable ability and background attending comparable co-ed schools. So to give just one example, and some of this, a good bit of this research has to come from outside the United States because in the United States, Girls who attend girls' Catholic schools are, differ in many ways from girls who attend, say, uh, a co-ed school um, because girls' schools are unusual in the United States. So you really want to look at other countries like England and New Zealand where girls' schools are widely available in the public sector. Uh, in this country, there are really only a handful of girls' public schools and none that I'm aware of in Northern Virginia, although there are a few in the district. Uh, but these researchers in uh, the UK looked at 2,954 high schools nationwide, all of which were, we would say public schools, they used the term state schools. All of these schools in this study, none of them have fees, none of them have tuition, none of them have religious affiliations. We would call them public schools, they're state schools. Um, and girls and boys do better at the single sex schools. Um, and quoting from the report, uh, girls at the girls public schools were much more likely to take mathematics and physics at advanced levels. Again, quoting from the report, girls schools are helping to counter the distinctions between girls subjects such as English and foreign languages and boys subjects such as physics and computer science. Uh, and we have another uh, report from England, again, looking at public schools in England and Wales that are not selective, anyone can attend. So these are girls' public schools. These are neighborhood public schools. If you live in that neighborhood, you can go to that school and compare them to comparable co-ed schools. These are all public schools, no fees, no tuition, no religious affiliation. And in that study, after controlling for how the student is doing at age 11, looking at the standard test that's administered nationwide called the GCSE, uh, and looking at value added, how much achievement did the school add to that particular kid's baseline? 
They found, again, quoting from the report, that girls in girls' public schools race ahead of girls who learn alongside boys in comparable co-ed public schools. Uh, that 11-year-old girls who subsequently attend a girls' public school achieve gains six times greater than girls of the same academic ability who attend a comparable co-ed public school. Um, Germany is uh, very helpful because in Germany, you're allowed to do things that would be unlawful in the United States. In Germany, it is lawful to assign girls, to randomly assign girls either to a girls' classroom or a co-ed classroom because you're doing a study. In this country, that is unlawful. You have to have parental consent in the United States. You don't in Germany. Uh, so uh, from the researcher's point of view, that's a great advantage because random assignment is, of course, the gold standard in research. So they randomly assign girls either to single sex or to co-ed classrooms for one year to study physics. No opt-out. Uh, if you're assigned to the girls' classroom, you're in the girls' classroom. They found that girls who were randomly assigned to the girls' classroom were much more engaged, uh, much more excited about the study of physics, and less likely to agree with statements like physics is for boys. Presence of boys tends to reinforce gender norms. And that is an extremely robust finding uh, that's called group contrast effects. When boys and girls are together, gender is a natural kind. That's a term from psychology, meaning that the boys are trying to figure out what's cool for guys. Um, and the, the girls are don't want to be perceived as, as unfeminine. Uh, or weird. Um, and uh, I, I love that line from Bruce Springsteen's song, uh, Born to Run. Uh, girls comb their hair in rear view mirrors and the boys try to look so hard. That's group contrast effects in one poetic line. Um, and we could go on and on about the academic benefits, but I think it's important for you to know that the benefits are more than academic. Um, we have a great deal of research showing that across the United States, girls drop out of team sports after the onset of puberty. Between grade six and grade nine, you lose about half the girls who are participating in team sports. Between grade nine and grade 12 in the United States, you lose another half. Uh, so that of 100 girls participating in team sports at a co-ed school in sixth grade, by grade 12, you're lucky if you have 25. Um, and Researchers have interviewed girls and asked them, why are you doing that? Well, why are you quitting? Why don't you want to do sports? And the girls will say things like, you can feel them looking at you, it's creepy. Uh, and they will forget to bring their gym clothes because they don't want to participate in a co-ed gym class. They don't want to participate in a team sport when boys are watching. Um, girls at girls' schools are much more likely to participate and to remain in team sports. And that's important because team sports for girls have huge advantages. First of all, girls who participate in competitive team sports do better in school academically than girls who do not participate. Girls who participate in competitive team sports are less likely to use drugs, less likely to use alcohol, less likely to get pregnant or to engage in risky sexual activities. Uh, you'll find all those studies in chapter six of my book, Girls on the Edge. And none of that is true for boys. Boys who engage in competitive team sports are not less likely to use drugs, not less likely to use alcohol, not less likely to engage 
in uh, uh, unsafe sex. Um, in 1972, before the passage of Title IX, very few girls played competitive sports. Today, overall, in the United States, girls are almost as likely as boys at, in sixth grade to be playing a team sport. Uh, in 1972, uh, a catastrophic injury of the knee, a complete rupture of the anterior cruciate ligament, the ACL, uh, was very rare among girls. Today, it is extremely common among girls. Uh, girls playing basketball and soccer are between five to eight times more likely than boys playing the same sports to sustain a rupture of the anterior cruciate ligament. Rupture of the anterior cruciate ligament is a life-changing event. It uh, greatly increases the likelihood that you're going to have severe arthritis of the knee by the time you're in your 30s. Uh, you may need a, a knee replacement by the time you're 30 or 35 if you have a complete rupture of the ACL at age 15. And why is that? Well, we now have a very good understanding of that. So uh, this part shows a typical boy and that angle there for where the femur intersects the knee, that's called the Q angle. In the teenage boy, that angle is relatively small. In the teenage girl, the pelvis is wider, and that means that the Q angle will be larger, and that increases the torque on the knee. And that is a robust physical finding. It's gonna be true of females compared to males with very few exceptions on average. Again, the Q angle in the female shown at, at here, and the Q angle in the male shown here. Males have a smaller Q angle than females. This has nothing to do with fitness. It has to do with being male or female. Uh, now, any coach will tell you, you wanna be in the athletic stance. Uh, the slide there that says preferred. You don't wanna be in valgus, which is this slide that says valgus or abduction. Uh, when you plant and kick, when you plant and pivot, that Q angle is absolutely pivotal. And as a, a practicing physician, I can tell you so many cases I've seen firsthand of the girl who said, I went to plant and I felt a pop and I fell to the ground in terrible pain and my knee was instantly the size of a basketball. Classic story, ACL, complete rupture of the ACL tear, life-changing event. Her athletic career is probably over. How best to warm up kids in order to decrease the risk of ACL injury? So for decades, look, soccer and basketball were sports developed 100 to 500 years ago by boys and men to be played by boys and men. And the traditions surrounding those sports over the last five centuries, uh, in the case of soccer, in the past century, in the case of basketball, um, has been developed by male coaches teaching boys. Um, you run some laps and you do some stretches, which is actually a very good way to warm up boys for these sports, not for girls. Orthopedic surgeons who understand ACL injuries said, okay, we understand the anatomy. The way you want to decrease the risk of this injury in girls, because of this increased cue angle, girls need to be running backwards, not forwards, and doing hamstring flexion prone exercises against resistance. They said, okay, this all works good in theory. Uh, let's test that hypothesis. And so we now have two different studies, one in the United States and one in England. 
in which they randomly assigned a large number of high school girls, either to do it the usual way, to warm up before soccer by running some laps and doing some stretching, or randomly assign a separate group of girls to run backwards and do prone hamstring flexion against resistance. Again, this is all described in detail in chapter six of Girls on the Edge. After one year in both studies, the risk of ACL injuries in the group girls doing the girl-specific exercise was decreased 80% compared to the girls doing it the usual way. And of course, this costs nothing. It doesn't cost anything more to run backwards than to run forward. This is a zero-cost intervention that decreases the risk of catastrophic knee injury in girls by more than 80%. And I have found that girls' schools know about this research has been published over the last five or eight years. The girls' schools I'm visiting know about this. I haven't found a single co-ed school that has the foggiest notion of this research or that has ever heard about it before I visited and told them about it. Because the co-ed schools, the notion that there are innate differences between girls and boys and those differences matter is a very unfamiliar notion. Uh, girls' schools are much more aware of this. Again, if you don't want to look at my book, just Google my name, Psychology Today, and Girls' Knees and Gender Confusion. That link is in your handout. Uh, and you can read all this stuff about uh, the Q angle and uh, links to the programs, which the orthopedic surgeons have put online at no cost. Anybody can see exactly what you need to do in order to cut the risk of knee injuries in girls by more than 80%. This story is about more than knee injuries. It has deep implications. Because across the United States right now, there are many people who believe that treating people equally, there are many people who believe that treating people equally means treating them the same. And that's false. We all agree that girls and boys should have equal access to sports, should have equal opportunity to participate in sports. But if you coach girls and boys the same, then you are putting girls in. What girls need to excel in sport is different from what boys need to excel in sport. The warm up, the warm up that works for girls for soccer and basketball is radically different from the warm up that works for boys. If you treat them the same, you are putting girls and boys girls at risk. Equal opportunity to participate without risking injury with lifelong consequences requires that you treat girls and boys differently. Equal does not mean the same. Apples and oranges may be equally good fruits, but they're not the same. If you try to make orange juice with apples, you're not gonna end up with orange juice. If you try to make apple pie using oranges, you're gonna be very disappointed. Apples and oranges are different. That doesn't mean apples are better than oranges. Ovaries and testicles are different. That doesn't mean ovaries are better than testicles or worse than testicles, but they are different. And Americans right now, many Americans have a phobia of any talk of innate difference because they think that if you, if you recognize the reality that girls and boys are innately different, then you're endorsing inequality. And that's just a confusion. It's very common to encounter that confusion in the United States. And this story about needs and what girls need in order to participate safely, as safely as boys do, 
I think is important. As I mentioned, competitive sports have huge benefits for girls, which they do not have for boys. As I mentioned, there is tremendous attrition of girls in team sports across the United States, nationwide, but not at this school. I just met with the girls earlier today and confirmed those numbers with Dr. Ortiz. At this school, 80% of girls are participating in team sports at grade nine, and there is no attrition uh, through grade 12. So again, don't underestimate that benefit. It may not show up in a GPA, or it may, but the benefits of team sports for girls are substantial. And uh, you, your daughter's much more likely to enjoy those benefits at this school than at a comparable co-ed school. So the last three chapters of my book, uh, Girls on the Edge, are mind, body, and spirit. By spirit, I mean benefits that are neither academic nor athletic. For example, looking at uh, girls' Catholic schools in Belgium compared to co-ed Catholic schools in Belgium. Uh, Belgian researchers found that girls attending the girls' Catholic schools were much less anxious than girls attending the neighboring co-ed Catholic school. Again, girls attending girls' schools are much less likely to use drugs or alcohol alcohol compared to girls from the same neighborhood attending co-ed schools. That is not true for boys. Boys attending boys' schools are not less likely to use drugs or alcohol compared to boys attending comparable uh, co-ed schools. But girls attending girls' schools are much less likely uh, and also less likely to um, get pregnant compared to girls attending co-ed schools in the same neighborhood. Girls attending girls' schools are more likely to date and less likely and that's from Western Australia. Uh, and I can tell you, having spoken on multiple occasions in Perth and Fremantle in Western Australia, all the leading schools in Perth and Fremantle in Western Australia, or many of them, I should say, many of the leading schools in Perth and Fremantle are um, uh, single sex, but there are also leading independent schools like uh, Pope John the 23rd in Perth that is a leading school that is a co-ed school. So these researchers looked at kids attending the leading co-ed schools and then the leading girls' schools and boys' schools and found that the kids attending the uh, uh, single-sex schools much more likely to date, much less likely to hook up. And I have a story from Montgomery County, actually, because uh, I was talking to a boy at Landon um, who had met a girl um, from the National Cathedral School who at Stanley Kaplan. And she call, he called her up and said, hey, um, remember me? We met at Stanley Kaplan. Uh, how'd you like to meet for uh, uh, supper and a movie uh, this Saturday? And she said, okay. And they went out on a date. And I shared that story. I think it was at Bullis, uh, a co-ed school in Montgomery County. And the kids at Bullis just burst out laughing. They thought that was so cute. They were like, that's so leave it to beaver. Does do people really do that? Kids at co-ed schools don't date. They just don't. I mean, they regard that as very 1950s. They hook up, 
hook up means that a bunch of boys go to party, a bunch of girls go to party, and who you're intimate with is determined by your rank order and popularity. Most popular boy hooks up with the most popular girl. Next most popular boy hooks up with the next most popular girl. Least popular boy probably doesn't get to hook up with anybody. And that incidentally explains something that I've been told at many co-ed schools, which is that only ugly people date. When I'll push the kids, I'll say, what do you mean, nobody dates? They'll say, yeah, some kids date, only ugly people date. And that's a surprise to me, because back in ancient times when I was in high school, that wasn't true. Uh, attractive people were more likely to date than unattractive people, but not anymore. Uh, today, the kids tell me, um, uh, if, if you have any value, if you're good looking at all, you'll be able to hook up with somebody. If you're really ugly, the only way you're going to get some romantic activity is to date someone as ugly as you are. Um, the hookup culture is an unhealthy culture. It is a culture with no accountability, with no connection, um, where uh, intimacy comes before relationship. It, it grooves terrible, terrible habits. And many writers have written about this. I'm not the only one. Dating culture is much healthier. There's accountability. You're interacting as human beings rather than as genitalia. So uh, dating culture is much healthier. Dating culture still lives at single sex schools. It's pretty much extinguished at co-ed schools in the United States with very few exceptions. So those are the benefits. Benefits are academic, athletic, and spiritual. But that's only a part of the, of the picture that we need to consider. We also need to answer at least two questions. There are others, but uh, we have time for two. Uh, two very common questions. The first question, the real world is co-ed. Schools should prepare kids for the real world. Their school should be co-ed, right? Seems logical. So Jacqueline Granlis is an American researcher who went to Belfast, Northern Ireland, because Northern Ireland, like the Republic of Ireland, has a centuries-old tradition of single-sex public schools. And Northern Ireland, like the rest of the United Kingdom, has a decades-old tradition of allowing parents choice beginning in middle school. You can choose what school your kid's going to attend from a variety of neighborhood schools. We don't have that in the United States. There's really no community in the United States where there's lots of girls' public schools alongside co-ed public schools, public schools. But, and that's why she went to Belfast, because she wanted to look at school format, single-sex versus co-ed, in a public school setting. No fees, no tuition. So that's why she went to Belfast. So, she went to this neighborhood in Belfast where some of the girls were going to the girls' public school and some of the girls were going to the co-ed public school. And she chose this particular neighborhood because she couldn't find any difference on any demographic variable. Girls attending the girls' school, same race, ethnicity, religion, household income, family composition compared to the girls attending the public schools. So she could study then the effect of school format, single-sex versus co-ed. And she asked girls at both schools, are you a good student? Your parents have good jobs. You get a sport. Are you pretty? She found that for girls, and then she separately created an index of self-concept, self-efficacy. And she found that for girls at co-ed schools, you only need to ask one question to know that girl's self-concept and self-efficacy. Are you pretty? That's the only question that matters. 
If this girl at the co-ed school uh, believes herself to be pretty, her self-concept is very high. Doesn't matter if she's failing every class, doesn't matter if she's no good at sports, doesn't matter if her parents are out of work. If she, if, if the boys think she's pretty, life is good. That was not true for girls at the same neighborhood attending the girls' school. For girls at the girls' school, self-concept was a complex product of many factors. Are you a good student? Good. That was positively correlated with self-concept, which was not true at the college school. Uh, are you good at sport? Good. That was positively correlated with self-concept for girls at the girls' school, which was not true for girls at the college school. Are you pretty? Great. That was positively correlated with self-concept for girls at the girls' school, uh, but it wasn't a very strong predictor. It wasn't even one of the top three. The most important predictor of self-concept for girls at the girls' school was, are you a good friend? Do you keep your promises? That predicted self-concept much better, uh, much, much better than whether or not the boys think you're pretty. I think you can make a good case that a girls' school is better preparation for the real world, better preparation for the real world than the code school. To illustrate that, I want you to try to imagine that I was really handsome, okay? Try to imagine that I look like Brad Pitt. How would that change my life as a family doctor? You know what, I don't think it would change it that much. If I showed up for work two hours late, if I made the wrong diagnosis, wrote the wrong prescription, my patients would say, well, he may look like Brad Pitt, but he's a total idiot. In the real world, unless you're a model or an actress, and those jobs don't usually last very long, in the real world, whether you're competent is much more important than whether or not you're cute. And cute doesn't last. At the girls' school, the focus is on what kind of person you are. At the co-ed school, the focus is on do the boys think you're cute? So I was speaking at uh, Sacred Heart School, girls' school in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. And I was talking afterwards with a parent who actually grew up uh, in Dublin and attended a girls' school uh, straight through and then went to co-ed university. And I asked her, actually, she, she mentioned to me, she said she can tell the difference between women who went to girls' schools and women who went to college schools. I said, how can you tell? She said, it's easy. It's easy. She said, women, and this, this quote has been approved by her, women who went to co-ed schools are more likely to cancel on short notice to be, she was telling me about, she had a friend in Manhattan, and they're both really busy, and they want a female friend, they wanted to get together. And, and their schedules were both busy, so they had planned three weeks in advance to meet for lunch in Manhattan, midtown. And at 11 o'clock that morning, she gets a text from this woman saying, hey, uh, my coworker asked if I'd go to lunch with him. It's nothing romantic. It's not business. You don't mind, do you? And Karen was like, yeah, I do mind. You just said it's not romantic and it is no value to business. You're dumping me on one hour's notice to go to lunch with a man that you're not romantically involved with and you say has nothing to do with business. She said that happens all the time. She said American women went to co-ed schools. They do that all 
the time, they don't value female friendships because at a co-ed school, you learn that the boys' opinions matter more. At the co-ed high school, you're walking down the hall and a boy says, huh, such a whale, your face looks like a pizza. And some boys talk like that. And the other girls see how the boys disrespect you. That lowers your status in the eyes of the other girls. So girls attending co-ed schools learn you've got to be nice to the boys because if the boys don't like you, they will disrespect you publicly and that will lower your status in everybody's eyes. Co-ed middle school, co-ed high school teaches girls to value boys more than girls. This is all Karen Quirk's assessment and I think she's right. Women who went to girls' schools know how to value friendships with not the real world you hear parents say. So Afshalom Caspi, an American researcher previously at the University of Wisconsin, now Duke, went to the South Island of New Zealand for the same reason that Jacqueline Granlis went to Belfast, Northern Ireland, because in many towns, including this town, um, in the South Island of New Zealand, there are, there are co-ed schools available in the public sector, and there are girls' schools available in the public sector. And he carefully looked at girls attending, that's why he went to this small city on the South Island of New Zealand, because he said it was the only place he could find where girls attending girls' public schools did not differ on any parameter from girls attending co-ed public schools. They didn't differ in terms of race, ethnicity, household income, language spoken at home, family composition, parental involvement, religion, or religiosity. So again, allowed him to purely separate out. Oh, and incidentally, why then would girls attend the girls' school rather than the code school? Because that was the school their mother attended. In this town, it was settled by Scottish immigrants more than a century ago, and they're all still there. There's been very little in or out migration. You go to the school, your parents went to you. So the girls go to their parents' high school. Uh, and they, he found, Professor Caspi found that girls attending girls' schools much less likely to use drugs or alcohol compared to girls from the same neighborhood, same demographic, attending the co-ed public school. And of course, that difference increases as a function of age. At grade six, very small difference. At grade 12, that's a huge difference. Alcohol is a huge problem across New Zealand. Their legal drinking age is 18. Uh, it's very easy for 17-year-olds to get their hands on liquor. So at age 17, it's a huge problem of 17-year-olds getting drunk and uh, a bigger problem there than it is here, actually, um, teenage drinking. Um, at the co-ed public school, big, big issue. But at the girls' public school, not an issue at all. The mixed school is nothing. The co-ed school is nothing like the adult world. At a co-ed high school, if a girl gets totally drunk and vomits all over the front steps of the school uh, the, on a Saturday night, the boys would be like, hey, excellent, wait, cool. Do you see how Stephanie threw up all over the front steps of the school? She may raise her status in the eyes of the boys because she threw up on the front steps of the school. The co-ed high school is nothing like the real world. If you go to your workplace and you throw up over the front steps of, the, of, your, of your place of business, you're not going to raise your status in the eyes of the boss. The mixed school, the co-ed high school is very different from the real world. So 
let's go back to that logical syllogism. The real world is co-ed. That's a true statement. School should prepare kids for the real world. That's a true statement. Therefore, school should be co-ed. That does not follow. The fallacy is the notion that because the school is co-ed, it thereby resembles the real world. The co-ed school is nothing like the real world. It's a very peculiar universe. All your classmates are the same age, plus or minus one year. You know, at my workplace, I work with people who are 30 years younger than me, and they listen to Bruno Mars and Cardi B. And I work with people who are older than me who listen to Frank Sinatra. Um, no one is married in the classroom. And in my workplace, everyone that I can think of is married or in a long-term relationship. And the idea of sexual intimacy with any of my coworkers is really an unpleasant thought. I don't even want to think about it. Um, not true in the co-ed classroom. Everyone is, a, everyone is a potential romantic partner. And sexual and romantic intimacy is new. Uh, in my workplace, we're all adults and we've been there, we've done that. And unless you have a major psychiatric disorder, you're not thinking about it all day long. But if you're 13, 14, 15, you haven't been there, you haven't done that. And so it's only natural in a co-ed classroom that everyone is wondering whether or not Emily likes Justin. That's perfectly age appropriate. And there's a spiritual aspect to sexuality and romance in adolescence. It's one thing that makes adolescence charming. It's common for adolescent boys and adolescent girls to believe, if, if for a boy to think, if I was only her boyfriend, for a girl to think, if I was only his girlfriend, my life would be transformed. I'd be so happy. Everything would be different. It's one of the charms of adolescence that they think that. Uh, they'll find out soon enough uh, that uh, you cannot give to another human the place in your heart that belongs only to God. Uh, they'll figure that out. But at age 14, sexuality and spirituality are confused. Uh, Taylor Swift had a number one hit song where, where she sang, the place where we met is sacred ground. Um, and of course, what matters most for girls is how you look, obviously. And again, that's not my guess. That's a robust empirical finding. For girls at, at co-ed schools, that's what determines your popularity, your self-concept. Uh, it's not the real world. I was in a seventh grade classroom, seventh grade classroom, and it was January. So it was right after the Christmas break. Before the Christmas break, the teacher had said to the co-ed, to these boys and girls, over the Christmas holiday, I want you all to prepare a little public speaking. I want you to be prepared to speak for at least two minutes, not more than three minutes, about something that happened over the Christmas break. So now it's January. I'm visiting the classroom, and they're all supposed to get up and do their little spiel. So there's this 13-year-old uh, girl sitting next to a 13-year-old boy. The 13-year-old girl could clearly have passed for a 16-year-old girl, easily have passed for a 16-year-old girl. She's completed the process of puberty. She's sexually mature, physically, physically speaking. She's sitting next to a 13-year-old boy who could easily have passed for a 
a 13-year-old boy who could easily have passed for a nine-year-old boy. He has not yet begun the process of puberty. So it's a 13-year-old girl's turn. She gets up and she talks about how she went to the mall and these two high school boys started following her around. And she was really creeped out and went over to the police officer because they were trying to joke with her and she was really not comfortable with that. So she went to the security officer and the boys went away. Thank you, very good, the teacher said. Thank you very much. So the boy gets up and he starts talking about how excited he is about the new Star Wars movie because he is in tune with the dark side of the force. Okay, between this boy and this girl, there can be no conversation. She is a young woman concerned about sexual harassment. He is a little boy playing with lightsabers. Uh, this, the co-ed classroom is nothing like the real world because they haven't completed the process of puberty. They're at very different stages. Uh, and there can be no meaningful communication between them. And the second deeper confusion is the notion that, okay, the real world's co-ed, true. Schools should prepare kids for the real world, true. Therefore, should, should school resemble the real world? Well, not in some ways. Uh, should the shipyard where you build the ocean-going ship going to should it resemble the ocean? You know, uh, flying back into Philadelphia, you fly over the big shipyard there, where they're building the ocean-going tankers. They're in a dry dock. They're not in water. Huge dry docks uh, near the Delaware River, but not in the Delaware River. Now, if you were to go to the workers at the shipyard and say, "Well, that's not," you know, you're not. The ship is not prepared for the real world of the ocean, the deep ocean where it's going to sail. You should be building the ship in the deep ocean. Uh, if you could get out such a sentence, they would burst out laughing, of course, because that's ridiculous. You tried to build a ship in the deep ocean, you would drown and the ship would not be built. And once you, once you grasp that principle, you can think of many other examples. The nursery where you grow the tree, the protected nursery in the greenhouse where you grow the tree from a sapling or from an acorn should not resemble the real world harsh environment of the cliffside where you hope to plant the tree. Schools should be sheltered to some degree. Now that sheltering maybe should diminish. Maybe in 11th grade and 12th grade, we're gonna be a little harsher than we are in uh, 9th grade uh, or in 6th grade. Uh, but the notion that schools should resemble the world um, you won't find serious educators who will say, okay, in the real world, you can get fired with two weeks notice in many jobs. We're gonna do something like that in school. We're gonna kick kids out and not allow them to come back if they're not performing up to par. No, the school differs from the real world and should differ for many sound reasons. Uh, Prior to 1960, most adults in the United States, men and, men and women, agreed with the statement. We know this. We had good polling back then. Uh, women in the United States in 1960, by overwhelming margins, agreed that men should be the primary wage earner and that women should raise the children. Uh, so uh, the argument for single-sex schools prior, prior to 1960 was that, hey, Men and women are going to be doing very different things as adults. So yeah, they can go to the same elementary school because they need to learn to read and write. But then at high school, they should go in different ways. 
Well, nobody believes that anymore, nor should they. We all agree, I stipulate, uh, we all affirm uh, equal opportunity. A woman should have the opportunity to be a surgeon or combat infantry or fly for the United States Air Force, as my daughter hopes to. Uh, all right, great. So if everyone should have equal opportunity, no longer any rationale for single-sex schools is there. Uh, school, girls' schools are out of date, are they? Let's think about pioneers. I want you to list for me American women who have been pioneers, who have done things that no American woman had ever done before them. Let's see, Condoleezza Rice, the first woman uh, to be national security advisor and the second woman to be secretary of state. You know, Madeleine Albright's name should be there. Madeleine Albright, the first woman to be secretary of state. Nancy Pelosi, regardless of what you think of her politics, she is the first and only woman to be speaker of the house and one of very few individuals elected to that position uh, after losing it. Uh, Susan Rice, ambassador to the United Nations and National Security Agency. Uh, Bernadine Healy, the first woman to lead the National Institutes of Health. Uh, Dr. Sally Ride, the first American woman to fly in space. Uh, Kathleen Sebelius, the first woman governor of Kansas. Christine Todd Whitman, the first governor of New Jersey. Also, I would should mention Christine Todd Whitman, the first woman to lead the Environmental Protection Agency. Mary Landrieu, Diane Feinstein, Olympia Snow, Senator Barbara Mikulski, Rosa Parks. American woman pioneers. Madeleine Albright should be on that list. I apologize. Um, what do all these women, including Madeleine Albright, have in common? Well, they were pioneers. What else do they have in common? They all graduated from girls' high schools. Rosa Parks graduated from a girls' public school in Birmingham, Alabama. That's extraordinary when you consider that fewer than 1% of American women have graduated from girls' high schools. You look at who are the pioneers. Women are, women graduates of girls' schools are enormously overrepresented. And when you talk to them or read their biography, Sally Ride never wrote a biography for adults, but she did write a children's biography. And in her uh, autobiography for children, she wrote that she never wanted to be an astronaut. She wanted to be a tennis player. She wanted to be a professional tennis player. And she got a tennis scholarship to Westlake, a girls' high school in West Los Angeles. And during her four years at that girls' high school, she discovered, wow, physics is really cool. And I'm really good at it. And I really like it. And I think I'd like to study astrophysics. And she could then go off to Stanford, where, as she described, she was often the only woman in her astrophysics uh, graduate seminar, but it did not intimidate her. She had found her voice. This is Sally Ride speaking. She found her voice as a student at a girls' school. And for more than a decade prior to her death, her big passion was all girls' summer science camps because she believed that girls must have that all girls' experience in order to find their voice in order to discover what they really like, what they really want to be. Uh, all these women on this slide are graduates of girls' high schools. Jane Fonda, Reese Witherspoon, these are very different women. Um, all graduates of girls' high schools. 
you'll also hear people say, look, yeah, there were many more girls' schools and boys' schools 60 years ago. 60 years ago, in Virginia, white kids went to school for white kids and black kids went to schools for black kids. Aren't schools for girls just another form of segregation? I would not send my daughter who was white to a school that wouldn't admit black kids. So why should I send my daughter to a school just for girls? And this is where you really have to look at the brain research. When you look at the development of the human brain. So here's one of these graphs. So the x-axis is age in years. The y-axis is volume of the brain in uh, cubic centimeters. Red is girls with 95% confidence intervals above and below. Blue is boys with 95% confidence intervals above and below. The inflection point indicates the halfway point in brain development. The arrow shows the halfway point in brain development. Girls reach the inflection point just before 11 years of age. Boys don't reach it until just before 15 years of age. That's more than two standard deviations of difference separating the average boy from the average girl. In your handout, you'll find a link to a full, a full issue of the Journal of Neuroscience Research, more than 70 articles documenting hardwired innate differences between human males and human females. The age differences are actually smaller than sex differences. Let's imagine comparing a 12-year-old girl with a 14-year-old girl in terms of their attention span, their interests, their conversational style, their tendency to affiliate with the teacher. Very subtle differences between a 12-year-old girl and a 14-year-old girl. Huge differences between a 12-year-old girl and a 12-year-old boy on those parameters. Differences based on age are much smaller than differences based on sex. And yet in this country, we segregate based on age. If you move to Maryland, they're gonna ask you, what's your child's birthday? And your child's gonna be assigned to a classroom. And you're gonna say, okay, they're gonna tell you, your child's gonna be in seventh grade. And you may say, well, my child's perfectly capable of doing ninth grade work. They'll say, yeah, we hear that all the time. Your child's gonna be in seventh grade. They don't care. They put all the kids of the same age together. They segregate kids rigidly on the basis of age. And I don't see the ACLU or anyone else suing any public school district for age segregation. Um, if you are comfortable with segregation based on age, you can be much more comfortable with segregation based on sex. Because empirically, differences in every parameter relevant to education, maturity, attention span, vocabulary, fluency, etc., those differences based on sex are much, much larger than differences based on age. For example, how long can you sit still, be quiet, and pay attention? We find that the average 14-year-old boy can sit still, be quiet, and pay attention for about 70% as long as the average 14-year-old girl. He may be sitting still and being quiet, but he's not paying attention. What boys need to thrive is very different from what girls need to thrive. Not true at age 30. Uh, girls are fully mature in, age, in brain development by 22. Boys are fully mature by age 30. There's no difference between a 30-year-old boy and a 22-year-old girl in how long they can sit still, be quiet, and, and pay attention. Sex differences between adults are very small. 
But sex differences between children and teenagers are huge. Girls at co-ed schools, therefore, and as a result of that difference, often dumb themselves down. Because as I said, at the co-ed school, you've got to please the boys. Because you don't want that boy disrespecting you in public, as boys are very willing to do. So you want to laugh at the boys' jokes. So this boy is making fart jokes. And most of the girls don't find the fart jokes very funny. But if you laugh at them, you will raise your standing in the eye of the boys. And he is less likely now to mock you and disrespect you in front of the class. So you have an incentive at the co-ed school to laugh at the boys' jokes. In uh, the, his book, The Magician's Nephew, C.S. Lewis has a great line. He says, the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. Girl who, is, who pushes herself to laugh at the boys' stupid fart jokes month after month, year after year, is dumbing herself down. down. She's not becoming who she should be. Her character is being warped because she's trying to please the boys. So I've made, I think, a pretty good point, a pretty good argument. Girls' schools have benefits, benefits which are academic, athletic, and spiritual. It is not segregation in the sense that racial segregation was invidious discrimination. It is instead age-appropriate and appropriate to hardwire differences. And again, there's much more about those differences in my book, Why Gender But that's not sufficient. There's one more piece of this before we conclude. Who gets to decide? So I was at another girls' school where the admissions officer told me about this phone call. The mom had called the admissions office three weeks before the start of the school. And she said, I hate to make this phone call. I know we're going to forfeit our deposit. I begged with my daughter. I pleaded with her. I bargained with her. I've tried to bribe her. But she just refuses to go to the girls' school. She wants to stay at the co-ed school, and I can't make her. So I'm calling to tell you, she's not going. She's staying at the co-ed school. And the admissions officer was so upset, and that's why she told me this story, because she said, I know this girl would have been a great fit for our school. She doesn't speak at the co-ed school. She would have blossomed at this school. She would have found her voice. But that mom felt, and she, the admissions officer told me she wanted to grab this mom and say, you know what? You can make her. You said you can't make her. You can make her. The state gives you that authority. She's a minor child. You can drag her to our school kicking and screaming. And the admissions officer wanted to, wanted to say, I guarantee you, after the first week, she'll love it here. Just get her here the first few days, and we'll take it from there. But... Many parents now believe that good parenting means letting kids decide. And good, many parents now function as educational consultants. They drive their daughter around to various independent schools. And the parents may make a recommendation as an education consultant would do, but the final decision is left in the hands of the child on the basis of a one day visit. The choice of school is arguably the most consequential decision in your child's life. 
The choice of school influences your daughter's attitude towards every content area, math, every science, language, arts, social studies, more than anything else you can do. It influences her choice of friends more than anything else you can do. It influences the likelihood that she will fall in with a bad crowd and use drugs and alcohol more than anything else you can do. This is not a guess. We have a great deal of research supporting these points. This is a, a decision of immense consequence. And you're putting this decision in the hands of a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old. A 12-year-old or 14-year-old is not competent to make this choice. But many well-educated parents who ought to know better are now giving this choice to their kid. And I'll ask why. And they'll say, well, I want her to be happy. I want her to be happy. If your daughter is attending the school and she says, you know what? I want to leave. I want to go to a co-ed school. Ask her why. If she says, I'm not happy, that's not good enough. This evening, I'll talk to parents about the immensely toxic culture that American kids are immersed in. When kids watch YouTube videos, when they watch television, uh, when they look at Instagram or TikTok, they don't see any girls' schools there. They see co-ed schools. The message they get relentlessly from American culture is that co-ed schools are the norm and a girl's school is some weird thing. Um, your daughter wants to leave the school, ask her why. If she says, uh, I actually wrote this slide before I go, this school does offer AP computer science, so that wouldn't be a good reason. But if she says, I wanna take advanced placement German and this school doesn't offer it, okay. Let's look into that. Let's see if we can make some accommodation and if not, that's a reasonable argument, but I'm not happy is not a good enough argument. You are fortunate. Many major American urban areas no longer offer an all-girls Catholic school. At a girls' school, it's easier to the focus to be on what kind of person you are instead of how you look. If girls' schools are so great, I'm closing up, just about done here. If girls are so great, girls' schools are so great, why are there so few of them? And many fewer than there used to be. So I learned the answer to the question over in Montgomery County. Uh, Rich McPherson, this was like 12 years ago, invited me to speak to prospective parents across Montgomery County as he and his colleagues were opening an all-boys Catholic school in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And so I gave a talk to parents about why an all-boys school would be a good choice. And after my talk, husband and wife came down to talk to me and they said, they said, Dr. Sexton, is very interesting. We're going to go home and consult with our son and, and see what his thoughts might be about perhaps attending a boys' Catholic school. Talking to the parents, I learned their son was eight years old. I said, don't go home and consult with him. Tell him this fall you're going to the boys' Catholic school. So I did a study, this was about 10 years ago, with the National Center for Educational Statistics. We found that between 1972 and 1997, 85% of Catholic single-sex high schools ceased to be Catholic single-sex high schools. In some cases, uh, St. Joe's, the boys' school, started admitting girls, and then St. Mary's, the girls' school, started admitting boys. In other cases, St. Joe's and St. Mary's merged to become one school. In a few cases, they just went out of business. Why did that happen? Was there some study showing that co-ed is better? No, there was never any such study. 
there was a transfer of authority from parents to kids. In 1970, 50 years ago, if parents said, son, this fall, you're going to the boys' school, he was going to the boys' school. His consent was not required. But today, parents no longer tell their kids where they're going to school. The decision is left to the child. You're giving this most important decision. You're turning that over to a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old. A 12-year-old or a 14-year-old is not competent to choose a school. They're going to choose a school based on where they think they'll have fun and where they think they'll be popular. And that's perfectly age appropriate. They're kids. What is your 12-year-old daughter supposed to say to her friends at her co-ed school when she announces, hey, this fall, I'm going to a girl's school. And her friends say, why aren't you staying with us at the co-ed school? What is your 12-year-old daughter supposed to say? Is she supposed to say, well, I thought there'd be fewer distractions in my studies of Spanish literature. Come on, it's ridiculous. You can't expect a kid to talk that way. You have to allow her to say, hey, my evil parents are making me go. You have to be willing to be the evil parents. You have to make the call. So again, that's the uh, that's my that's a short version of the talk. The handout with all the points that I've made and links to the research is online. It is www.leonardsacks.com/slash oakcrest. The number two .pdf. It is case sensitive. It's all lowercase. You must include the www and the .pdf and um, I will now exit the screen share so that Dr. Ortiz can come and speak to you.